basic self-care, routine regular sleep, routine regular movement. You know, it's natural for people to feel uh, depressed and anxious because they don't know what the future holds. Hi, I'm Ramnik Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Before we get started, I want to remind you to go to decomplicated.com and sign up for our daily newsletter where we decomplicate a top story. We tell you why certain things are trending to keep you in the know. Every morning, straight to your inbox, no hassle but all the fun. So many of us have been confronted with the realities of this pandemic on multiple levels in terms of physical and emotional health and the uncertainties around employment or safety, but even on a more basic level, what the future holds. And I can be honest in saying that it's been really tough mentally to balance everything while also recognizing that so much of this is out of our control. And that's something so many young people have shared during this time. That being said, Ramnik, how have you been throughout this pandemic? How do I really feel? Um, I think at first it was definitely just the sheer anxiety about the pandemic and the uncertainties around potentially catching the virus, but also realizing that the pandemic impacted nearly every single part of my life. It's like that meme where the dog is sitting in a house that's on fire going, this is fine. But enough about me. How are you doing, Carol? I hate to be that person, but I have been thriving. Um, I am an introvert by nature, and so the lockdowns, the many lockdowns, um, have been great for my mental health. I know that sounds really um, stupid, but I really enjoyed the lack of activity in our world. I don't have to go anywhere. I can stay at home. But I'm also very aware that I'm in a very privileged position where I don't have kids, I have a job, where I can work from home. And I'm not saying it's been easy, but I am more nervous about the world opening up because I hated the old normal. How's that for honesty? Am I about to get cancelled for flexing my hermit ways? Who's to say? Okay, so Carol is thriving and Ramnik is very much not. Thank you for that. Tell us something we don't know, but carry on. So I'm wondering, what have the experiences of other young people been during this time and what supports are needed right now? Well, millennials and company, let's dive in. The pandemic has affected everyone in some way. That being said, it's been particularly unfair to young people. It's messed up young people's understanding of the future, but more importantly, we see young people being blamed when there's a spike in COVID cases. And yes, there are people who have and continue to throw ragers and just ignore public health restrictions, but so many young people across the country have sacrificed so much of their personal lives for the well-being of everyone around them. Yeah, and I'm curious to hear what other young people are experiencing right now. 
you know, we graduated at the beginning of a pandemic, which was hard enough, but I can't even imagine trying to focus in school for this long while all of this is happening. Well, Romnik, your wish is my command. First up, I talked to Berenda Shaslane, a fourth-year poli-sci and econ student at St. Mary's University in Nova Scotia. He's a student leader and chair of the Canadian Alliance of Student Associations. I asked him how the pandemic has affected him. Gotten to a pretty good place uh, in terms of my mental health ahead of the pandemic, but when you lose the opportunities to see, uh, you know, your friends and, and your peers uh, over the summer and uh, this year without being able to go back to the classroom or to be able to take part uh, in events on campus, I have found this year to be very isolating. So I, I've noticed definitely an uptick in terms of feeling more depressed or, or finding school to be anxiety-producing. So uh, in that regard, I, I think the pandemic has really had kind of a negative effect on my mental health. And as much as schools try to compensate with Zoom social events, having another thing on Zoom can be exhausting. And it doesn't compare to actually making in-person connections. No, I mean, Zoom University sounds like the absolute worst. And motivation-wise, Byrne said it's been hard to concentrate, much less care about school. Yeah, it's been extremely different. I think up until this year, my university education really hadn't been, you know, a professor standing at the front of the room lecturing for, you know, an hour and a half. Um, and I've found that that's what a lot of my classes have been like this year is, you know, kind of being able to keep your camera off, kind of sitting in your room, uh, just listening to, to someone speak. And I, I found that really draining. I think it's, it's hard to be engaged with the content the same way. I've been, uh, I think, fortunate as a senior year student to, uh, to know a lot of my professors really well. And I know, you know, a number of the people in my program. Uh, so we've been able to have conversations kind of outside of the physical, uh, um, class times. But I, I really can't imagine being, you know, a first year or a second year student that doesn't have those connections to the campus. And, uh, I think it would be very difficult to kind of buy in fully to your, to your classes. It's also difficult to care about your studies when students and other young people are concerned about their very uncertain futures. I think a lot of students are feeling, uh, and young people are, are feeling very alone, um, but are also feeling very worried about, you know, how long uh, the impacts of this pandemic are going to last and what it's really going to mean for the rest of our lives. At the beginning of, of the pandemic and, you know, around May last year, we uh, at the, the Canadian Alliance of Student Associations had put out a survey and found that, you know, over 80% uh, of students across the country were reporting that they were stressed about their futures beyond the pandemic. And I think that really demonstrated that, you know, even back in May when we thought, oh, maybe COVID will last until the end of June and, you know, we'll, we'll get the rest of our summer. Already then, young people were worried, you know, what is this going to mean for the economy? How am I going to be able to afford uh, you know, my payments to be able to pay rent, to be able to buy food. And I think we're seeing that because there is no certainty as to when this will all be over. And we recognize how different our lives will be once we do return to some sense of normal. I also talked to Grace Dupacier, a fourth-year poli-sci student at Capilano University here in BC. She's the Director of Advocacy for Canadian Alliance of Student Associations. I asked her what it's been like for her as a student during the pandemic. I'm frustrated, as I'm sure you can tell. Um, I'm tired. I'm experiencing mental health impacts, and I'm waiting for this to be over. And every time I hear, you know, okay, so cases have gone up again, 
or the public health order has been extended again, or they're closing this, that, or the other thing, which they absolutely need to do because there are a lot of people who have been flouting restrictions. I just get this feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, when when are we going to be done? When can I go back to being me? Um, and I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. She also said that it's been difficult not being able to be in community with others. We've seen various ways of dealing with the pandemic when it comes to government responses. Um, but here in BC, it's lockdown, it's isolation, it's you are on your own. Um, and I live on my own, which means there's nobody. So it's been very difficult adapting to that kind of situation where I really am responsible for myself and I can't have my community around me the way that I normally would. Um, so I know that my experience is the experience of many, many people around me as well. Um, and in particular, you know, being a young person, being on my own and knowing that that's it is, I think, a fundamentally different situation than a lot of people in older generations are currently experiencing. Maybe they've got their spouse with them. Maybe they've got their children with them, you know, um, but, but I don't. It's just me. So it's a, it's a hard one for sure. So, Ramnik, like you mentioned earlier, we weren't students too long ago, and studying was important for us, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we enjoyed school because we had social lives, met up with new people, and don't tell our parents, but went to lots of parties. The weekly bachelor nights and post-class drinks at the pub, or even just being able to hang back at school to work on projects. It was definitely more fun than doing it all alone from a room in my parents' home, I can assure you that. And while Zoom happy hours and Netflix watch parties were fun for a short while in the beginning of the pandemic, it got old pretty quick. And I feel like most people have learned how important in-person communication is to our general well-being. Here's what Gray said about the importance of human connection offline. I see my friends as much as I can on Zoom, or maybe we see each other from 10 feet away like we both went on a walk and ended up in the same place. Um, but it's hard to create the kinds of connections that human beings need in order to feel well. So um, an understanding of that, a recognition that this is a trauma, this is a collective trauma that we're all going through, is huge. Rather than um, saying, you know, how dare you, what's going on, why, why would you do this, you're putting everybody at risk, Take a look at the root problem. Take a look at what's going on. Young people don't have the support networks that older people do. I can totally agree with that. I mean, I'm not a hugger, but even then, I do miss hugging my friends. And not even being able to do the small things like that all really adds up. And on the topic of support systems, lots of young people have been hearing and seeing on social media you know, older people blaming young people for the increase in cases. I asked Grace how she's been feeling with the older generation blaming us and telling young people to stop being selfish. When I see people writing things on Twitter or, you know, even if they've found Twitter, depending on how old they are, um, about, you know, oh, well, you know, older generations had to fight in a war or had to go through the depression or blah, 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 you know, sit down, shut up, stay home. Um, what is not being recognized is that those situations also caused harm to people. 
And with a broader understanding of mental health and the trauma that those situations would have caused, um, you could take a broader view of the situation in general and go, just because these people went through that does not mean it's acceptable to say that we should be causing harm to people going through this. Now, of course, I am not advocating for people to go out and see their friends and go, you know, live their lives as if there is no pandemic. We all have a responsibility and we understand that responsibility, but it doesn't do any good to blame people for um, attempting to take care of basic needs because we're at a point now, it's been a year um, where people are at their wit's end. And I think that that needs to be recognized. Ramnique. Yes, Carol? Not everyone is into podcasts. Some people prefer to read the news. So for podcast listeners who have friends or family who are not down for a 25-minute podcast, where can they join the Decomplicated family? Well, they can go to decomplicated.com and sign up for our daily newsletter, where we decomplicate a top story. We tell you why certain things are trending to keep you in the know. Every morning, straight to your inbox. No hassle, but all the fun. Amazing. Back to our regular programming. Okay, so we heard the anecdotal experiences from two young people, and it really helped paint a picture of how hard this time has been. On top of all of that too, though, there is the added challenge of support not being as easy to access when we are all at home. So how are young people accessing support right now, and what does that look like? Well, I reached out to a clinical psychologist because I wanted to get a sense of what's happening behind closed doors in therapy sessions. Why did you pause? For dramatic effect. You are very strange. You know what, Romnik? Humor is my form of self-care. Anyway, I connected with Dr. Thaslim Alani Verji to learn about what she's been noticing among young people's mental health. Dr. Thaslim is a clinical psychologist and director and founder of SILM Center for Mental Health. I asked her how she thinks the COVID pandemic has impacted and continues to impact the mental health of young people. She said the pandemic has brought on goal-oriented stress. You know, when we think about people who are in their youth, they're often thinking ahead, planning, making goals, trying to achieve those goals. And so one of the ways the pandemic has affected young people's mental health is that it has actually interrupted or gotten in the way of people being able to um, plan out and achieve their goals. It's interrupted pathways. And for some of us, we had a very good plan and it should have worked under other circumstances. And now we have no idea what we're going to do. We have no idea whether we're going to be able to resume that plan or our entire industry makes no more sense in the current circumstances, which which leads us to feeling lost. 
I can relate. I think there's this constant anxiety too about planning for the future because it's all so unpredictable. And earlier last year, there were news reports about how the pandemic was negatively impacting extroverts more than introverts. There were many tweets that reminded people to check in with their extroverted friends because many were struggling with the lack of socialization. And they still are. So in addition to the goal-oriented stress, Dr. Thaslim said isolation is another aspect that has negatively impacted young people. The isolation. Um, and the isolation has been really hard on, again, everybody. Um, but for, for younger people and generally young adults, um, connection to others is a really big part of how we define our identity. And when we don't have the opportunity to connect with others in a meaningful way, then, um, we often start to feel like we're losing ourselves in the process. Um, and that can be really hard. We also see that um, young people are more likely to use social media. And so some might think that that's a great way for young people to continue to connect with one another. And so it shouldn't be impacting them the same way. And yet we also know that the more a person uses social media, the more detrimental it actually is on their mental health. And so it, it doesn't actually work that way. What we're looking for are meaningful connections. And we generally don't get that from social media. We get it from actually being with the people we want to be with, and we can't do that anymore. So going off of that thread, Ramnique, how has the limited socialization affected you? Like both Byrne and Grace mentioned earlier, not being able to see friends, family, or community members really does take a toll, especially when you are so used to unwinding by being with people you care about. I think it's been a learning curve of how to manage these tough times without being able to be with the people I'm used to seeing. Like, I'd much rather record this podcast with you in person so we can share cake. But like everything from my workouts to my therapy appointments, it's all online. I don't share my cakes, but I'll accept the gift. Beyond the lack of socializing or the way interactions have been transformed, the entire world is also undergoing a collective traumatic event, often layered with other societal issues that have only been worsened during the pandemic. Here's what Dr. Thaslin said about that. COVID has taught us that the world is not necessarily safe to us. The world is not necessarily predictable and the world is definitely not fair. Um, and that's one of the... Um, biggest effects of any type of trauma on a person is that their ability to understand the way the world works changes. So we've all been traumatized by this. What we're going to do with that will very much depend on the support we have, our resilience, um, and how quickly we can get back to understanding the world from a new worldview. So for a lot of folks, what that's going to mean is long-standing anxiety, long-standing um, planning with like so many backup plans for just in case. It's going to mean having difficulty trusting people, trusting ourselves. Um, it's going to mean constantly being on guard. Um, and it might mean never really having a purpose, um, not knowing what direction we want to move in and in constant self-doubt. And I think I saw this tweet where it was like, we're all just trying to make it from Monday to Friday, like it's business as usual, while business is certainly not as usual while the pandemic rages on. 
And where there is a lot of uncertainty, there is a stronger need for control. Dr. Thaslim also explained that one truth this pandemic has forcibly taught everyone, especially young people, is that the world is unpredictable and unfair. We've definitely seen a spike in anxiety. Um, anxiety is often related to that not having control, the fear. Um, and so we've definitely seen um, a lot more anxiety. We've also seen that spike in, in OCD-type symptoms. So whether that's um, then developed into a full-blown obsessive-compulsive disorder or it's how individuals are um, kind of expressing or experiencing their anxiety, but a lot more preoccupation with cleanliness. Um, and so we're seeing that in hand washing and in checking. Um, but then also in other types of compulsive behaviors, because compulsive behaviors are one of the ways in which um, some individuals exert control over things. And so uh, when we're feeling like they're the world is unpredictable or we have no control, compulsive behaviors can just offer that reassurance. So many of the things that Dr. Thaslim talked about are difficult to manage without proper coping mechanisms and support systems in place. But unfortunately, that isn't necessarily something that is as readily available during the pandemic. Did she tell you about what she thinks needs to be done in order to address some of these gaps in terms of support? She did. And here's what she said. It would be great to see our government supporting mental health and making services accessible. I don't know what that model looks like. I'm not going to pretend like that's an easy thing to do. Um, but I think that's a really important thing that needs to happen. I think the other thing is, if if nothing else, this pandemic has shed light on how much people struggle with their mental health and has somewhat normalized attending therapy or even talking about our mental health and how we're feeling. And so hopefully that increased awareness um, equates to decreased stigma and that can continue to um, improve and, and be the case moving forward. I think one of the things that um, we can do to take care of ourselves is really practice that slowing down. Um, and, you know, I think, I think again, the pandemic has really shed light on um, how uncomfortable we can be with ourselves and how uncomfortable we can be with boredom. For sure. It isn't just black and white. And without policies to support young people, we're just creating a mental health pandemic. And I know it's not all the same for everyone, but did Dr. Teslim offer any useful tips or things that people can use to help themselves at least gauge how they're feeling? And I asked her specifically about what checking in with yourself looks like. You know, we hear this language all the time, but for many of us, we never learned how to do that. I mean, I'm almost 25 years old and I'm just now grasping this concept. Here's Dr. Thaslim. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Are great questions. I think there's also the question of how am I feeling? Um, and what I do with a lot of clients, um, and I, I used to do it with myself until I got better at it, um, is actually pull out an emotions wheel and look at it and try to identify three things that I'm feeling at any given time. Not only when I'm like reacting to something, but just like right now I could pull out an emotions wheel and do the exercise of how am I feeling right now. Um, and that helps me learn that at any given moment, I'm feeling something 
and to become a lot more familiar with what those feelings are. That helps also because our emotions are so tied to whether we are bored or hungry or tired. But it's more than just feelings. It's also reconsidering our choices. And so being able to to check in around the emotions, check in on what our needs are, but also just check in on what our values are and whether we're living by those values. Um, Whether we are enjoying a TV show or whether we're just watching it because there's nothing else to do. Whether we like the friends that we talk to or whether they're the only friends we know to talk to so they're the ones we keep. Um, Whether we're happy in our marriage or whether we need to work on it. Those are the things that Sometimes we're just on autopilot. And so we're not really aware of what we want and what we need. But life satisfaction is related to actually knowing those answers um, and starting to think about them. And we do have some ability to change some of that. So this is a good opportunity to start working on it. I love that. I've really hated those takes on social media that say, if you haven't changed your entire life, started a business and had a breakthrough, you wasted this time. Some people are just trying to get by. But there is this room, like Dr. Thaslin mentioned, to make much-needed changes and reconsider some of the ways that we were living before that simply aren't useful anymore. And before we end this conversation, I want to leave us with a comment that Dr. Thaslin said that has stayed with me. If we can purposefully slow down, check in with ourselves, understand ourselves better, I think we will be better for it. And self-compassion would also do us well. And so being able to recognize that we are all human, we are all going to make mistakes, we are all flawed. um, And that's part of what makes us beautiful humans. And so when things don't go according to plan, doesn't mean we, we are bad or that the world is falling apart. Just means that a very human experience happened to us and, and we can learn from it, but it doesn't mean anything bad or wrong about us. That was beautiful. I think I need to go cry now. Thanks for that insightful, really important conversation, Carol. Crying in the club? No? Thanks for listening to today's episode, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to leave us a review, follow us on socials, and share this pod with a friend. And feel free to let us know what you want to see decomplicated next. This episode was produced by Rimnik Johal and Carol Eugene Park and was mixed and scored by our audio producer, Sean Cameron. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Decomplicated. <laughs>